Well, welcome. My, my name is Ross Gilbert, for those that, that don't know me yet, and uh, welcome to Crossways to Life. I, I just want to introduce you to a couple other people. Uh, Sue over here, if she wants to just kind of wave her hand. Uh, Sue's uh, joined us on staff here, and she's going through some training and, and, uh, and learning to do counseling as well. And, and we've got a couple board members here. We've got Richard Delorier, and we've got, we've got Ken here, and a couple board members as well. So uh, if you have any questions about our ministry, feel free to ask any one of us, and we'll look at you clueless. So, um, but, uh, all right, well, this morning we want to do... Um, we want to do a few hours together. We're going to take a couple breaks, so an hour and then take a break, hour, take another break, and then an hour finish. And we want to look at this idea of, of sanctification. And you know, it's an interesting word, this word sanctification. It, it, um, I, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word sanctification. It might spawn all kinds of, of uh, religious understanding, or, or maybe you just kind of look at it and think, well, I've read the word, but I have no idea what it means. And so... We want to kind of take another look at this word sanctification and kind of understand what does it mean and what does it look like. And, and I think it's important to do that because sometimes we use words and we don't really know what they mean and what they're saying. I heard uh, this one lady, a pastor's wife, um, and, and she got into texting. And if you've been texting for a while, uh, you, you'll quickly discover that there's a whole other language when it comes to texting. Uh, it used to be because you could only have so many characters, and now it, it's less so, but the, the language has continued, and so you have all kinds of, of acronyms and short forms for different things. And, and I, you know, I don't really know what they all are. I, I've tried to just avoid all that stuff. My English is bad enough. I don't need to make it worse with texting language. But you have things like ROL. What does ROL stand for? LOL, sorry. <laughs> See? LOL. What does LOL stand for? <laughs> Laugh out loud, right? But there's another one. It's R-O-L-F. What does that one stand for? Rolling on the floor laughing, right? So there's FL. Again, right? I don't, I, I don't pretend to, to know all the lingo. Well, there's one, and I'm not going to ask you what it means, um, but there's this one pastor's wife, and, and she's kind of like me, I guess, didn't really understand the lingo and so forth, but she saw people using it and she began to adopt it. And, and so she had this one where she thought, I mean, wow, that's funny. And, and just kind of think about what the letters are for that one. And, um, and if you don't know what WTS stands for, don't worry. You're, you're much better off not knowing. Well, hold on, hold on. So, so she gets up there and she's speaking. She's, she's addressing the church. And she said something. And then she goes, WTF. Right to the whole congregation, thinking that meant wow, that's funny, and well, well, it actually means something else, it, involving swear words, right? Um, and and so it's kind of funny because she had no idea until afterwards someone came up to her and said, "Do you realize what that means?" And she was just aghast at herself. She was just just couldn't believe it, right? And so it's really important, I think, to have an understanding. Uh, of what we're saying because misunderstandings can lead us into all kinds of trouble. Amen? Well, in John chapter 8, Jesus tells us that the truth will set us free. Well, the, the opposite side of that then is that, that lies will put us into what? They'll put us into bondage. Right? We will, we will be stuck in, in some kind of bondage. And, and what I want to do tonight or this morning is begin to 
this, to talk about a deception that I think has has crept into our churches and has been there for a long time. And and I use the word deception because the deception is something that on face value appears to be true. I mean, it's not just an out and out lie. If I were to go and tell you the sky is green, you know, you would go, that's not true. You know that. So it's not just a it's not just a lie. It's it's more than that. It's something that seems to be right. It seems. It sounds okay. It it has a ring of truth to it. But if you were to peel back the layers, what would you find at the root of it? There's a lie. There's something rotten to it. And so we wanna we wanna look at this deception that I think is has uh, has crept in the church. And you know I don't really know exactly where it began. And I think those who, who perpetrate this deception, who pass it on, they don't do it with any malice. I think it's just that's what they've been learned. That's what they've taught, been taught. And so they pass that on to other people. But it's a deception that really is an exaggeration of the gospel. If there could be such a thing, it's an exaggeration of the gospel. And here's what I mean. I think we were told, we were presented with a gospel that said, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. You, you pray this magic prayer... And suddenly, everything will be different. You'll have constant joy, constant peace. Everything will be happy. Everything will be wonderful. You'll have no more frustrations, no more problems in life. And all your past hurts will will just magically melt away and disappear. And from here on in, you're going to experience life and peace and joy and rest. And it'll all be good. And so with an offer like that, Who's going to say no? Who's going to turn that one down? And so we, we jump at that chance and, and we, we pray this prayer and, and make no mistake, something happened. Something incredible happened that forever changed everything. That, that you're not the same person anymore. That something dramatic took place. And, and maybe for a brief time after you prayed that prayer, you began to experience all that. You experienced a, a bit of heaven on earth. You began to experience a, a peace you never thought possible or a, a joy that, that, that just made even the darkest days seem full of light and, and brightness. And, and everything seemed to improve for at least for a time. But then uh, eventually, after maybe a few days or a few weeks or a few months, or if you're really fortunate, maybe even just after a few years, things began to slowly change. Some of the old doubts and the old hurts began to creep back in. Some of the old struggles and the same old problems and the feelings of low self-worth and, and the questions, they all began to creep in slowly at first, but then over time they just didn't seem to go away. They seem to linger and hang around. And then some of the pain from our past that we, we thought was gone and we thought we dealt with, all of a sudden it resurfaces again. And we're not quite sure what to do with all of it. And so then we start thinking, well, maybe, maybe there's something not right here. You know, to make matters worse, I look around the church and, and I, I see all kinds of other people in the church and they seem to have it all together. They seem to be experiencing that gospel that I heard. They seem to be happy and, and joyful. I mean, they're always talking about praising God and how happy they are and how wonderful they are and how fine they are every Sunday. And I'm, I'm not. I, I seem to have some struggles still from time to time. And I, 
I don't know what to do with that. And what does that say if, if I'm struggling and they're not? Why do they have it together, but I seem to not? So when they ask me how I'm doing, what's my answer? I'm fine. I'm all right. I'm okay. And so my favorite Bible verse becomes fake it till you make it. That's in there, right? Somewhere. And that's our motto for life. I'll just, I'll just pretend that I'm fine. I'll pretend that everything's okay. And I'll try to ignore it. And eventually, it's all going to go away, right? That's what I try and do. And so in the meantime, what I do is I, I try to distract myself from the obvious problems. The big issues in life. The things that I'm struggling with. And, and you know, maybe I do that through all kinds of, of church service. And I, I, be, I begin to get more involved in the church. And I'm there early Sunday morning and late Sunday afternoon in the set up and take down and I, I get involved in the, the youth program and the nursery program and, and, and start you know leading some worship and I, I do all kinds of things. And then we, we start a Wednesday night Bible study and we're over here and we're over there and I, I'm going down to the, the local uh, mission in, in the soup kitchen. I'm helping serve the homeless and I'm, I'm doing all kinds of things thinking, well, that will fill the emptiness. And then I just realized that I'm more tired than I was and the problems are still there. And I think, well, maybe I just need to, to read my Bible more and I need to listen to, to more sermons and, and go on special retreats and conferences and, and we go to the most exciting ones we can and we come back all fired up. You know, just last weekend I was at a retreat for, for youth for Young People's Church in Toronto and and, and I was talking to the pastor and, and he says, you know, these, these youth, they come away from these things, they're all fired up, but they, they quickly fade away. And now they're getting to the point where they're scared about, well, I know this next conference isn't going to work. Because I'll be all fired up and on fire for Jesus, but give it a week, maybe a month, and then I'm struggling again. And so we start looking for the next high, the next event, and the, really the, the next distraction. And for some, when that doesn't work, then they, they look outside the church. Well, maybe my work, or, or maybe I can get the, you know, caught up in a TV show, or a movie, or a good book, or, or a friendship, or something. But just something to help distract me from what I'm, I'm feeling. But eventually, all these cracks of the despair, and the frustration, and the bitterness, and the shame, and the low self-worth, I just can't I can't deny it anymore. And so what ends up happening is I'm, I'm stuck in living in this place that, that I want to call the disillusionment of an exaggerated gospel. I call it an exaggeration because our Father never promised us an instantaneous healing of all our problems and that have no more struggles from here on in. That's not what He said. He, he, he didn't say that at conversion... Everything is going to be easy. In fact, did He not promise us trials? Absolutely. And so what we didn't understand when in Isaiah 57 and 9 when He says, I promise you healing, it wasn't going to be a bam type healing. It was rather an invitation that He was giving to you and I that we would begin to walk with Him. That we would begin to to be transformed through the relationship that we build with Him. But that transformation was always meant to be 
a lifetime process. It was always meant to be a lifetime of healing from hurts and wounds and, and the lies that we believed and replacing it and exchanging it for the truth of Him and His life. And that's really what sanctification is about. And so we want to, this morning, we want to look more into this, this journey and this process of sanctification that the reality is every one of us is on. Alright, so let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, what we're going to talk about this morning is relevant to every one of us because we're all on this journey. Every one of us here are, are on a journey to getting to know who you are, getting to know and experience your life, getting to experience healing and transformation. And I pray this morning that for every one of us, this will be a, another milestone, another step on our journey where we can discover some of the lies that we've been believing, some of the things that have been tripping us up in order that we can walk in freedom, walk in peace, walk with You. So I, I surrender this time over to You and, and ask You to speak through me powerfully in any way You see fit and that You will take Your truth and make it real in all of our hearts. In Your name we pray. Amen. You know, I think, I think Jesus gave this, or Scripture gives us this great picture of what this, this sanctification process looks like. And it's, it's really, it's the life of, and the story of Lazarus. So you think about Lazarus, this, this friend of Jesus, he... He's sick. And, and so word gets to Jesus that Lazarus is really sick and he's about to die. And Jesus hears this and what does he do? He does nothing, right? He, he just hangs out. And then a couple more days go by and he finally says, alright, it's time to go. And the disciples are kind of like, now? Now is time to go? I mean, you're a little late, Jesus. He's, he's dead now. He's gone. But Jesus says, don't worry. And He goes and, and he, he comes close to the house and, and Lazarus' and sisters, Mary and Martha, they're, they're sad. They're broken up over this. Understandably, they just lost their brother. And, and they come running out to Jesus, weeping. And, 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 and Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Watch what I'm going to do. And so he, he ordered them to open up the tomb. And they're like, um, Jesus, He's been dead for a long time. And, and, and dead people, they don't smell very good. And I don't know if you want to do that, Jesus. I mean, that it's wait a little bit longer and maybe the smell will dissipate, but not now. This is He's pretty, pretty ripe right now. And he says, no, open it up. So they open up the tomb and then Jesus calls forth for Lazarus to come out. Well, I want you to picture the scene now. Because out comes Lazarus, right? Now, in that day, what they would do is they would, they would wrap up dead people in grave clothes, which was essentially a, a wrapping kind of like what we would see with mummies. Now, growing up, I used to watch Scooby-Doo. Anyone remember Scooby-Doo? It seemed like every fourth episode, they were battling a mummy in my memory. That's how I remember it, right? And, and so I always pictured these, these cartoon mummies, hands out, right? They, for whatever reason, couldn't bend their joints and chasing them with little strappings of, of 
you know, tape, whatever, kind of come off them. And, but it almost looked like every individual finger, hand, arm, leg, and so forth was individually wrapped. Well, was that the case back in the day when they would, when they would bury Lazarus? No, they didn't bury, you know, wrap up individual arms. They would have wrapped him up so he was all tight. Kind of like we do with the newborn babies, right? We swaddle them up. Well, that's what it would have been like for Lazarus. So picture Lazarus coming out of the tomb now. He's not walking like the Scooby-Doo mummies. I don't know if he's doing a little penguin walk or if he's trying to hop his way out, but eventually he comes out and has he got life? Absolutely. He's, he's got a whole new life. He's overcome death. But what's he wrapped up in? He's wrapped up in his grave clothes. And you see, that's, that's such a great picture of what happened to you and I at the moment of salvation. God called us forth. He called us to Him. And in that moment, you made the greatest decision you'll ever make in your entire life. You received this gift of salvation. You received this gift of life. You went from being dead, being separated, to having a whole new life forever changed in that moment. But what are you still wrapped up in? You're still wrapped up in death. You're still wrapped up in the hurts, in the bondage of the, of the lies and, the, and all the struggles that we used to have. They're still wrapped up around us. Just like Lazarus was. And so Jesus then does something, again, I think a greater picture. He instructs those around Lazarus to come around and help unravel him. Help set him free from the grave clothes. Now, it's not making him more alive. It's not giving him more life. It's just simply allowing the life that's there to come out more. You see, that's why I think what God has appointed us, the church, to do to one another. To help one another remove the grave clothes, remove the stuff that's holding us in bondage so that the life we have can begin to move more freely. In fact, if you really think about it, when all those grave clothes are taken off of Lazarus, what do you got? You got a naked guy, Lazarus, a Lazarus in all his glory, right? With nothing to hide. With the true self on show. Well, figuratively, just so we're clear, figuratively, that's what God's wanting to do with you and I. He, he doesn't want you to hide behind anything. He doesn't want you to cover up who you really are. He wants who you are to be on show, to be on display in all your glory. And that's what's happening. All the things we're hiding behind, all the lies are going to be stripped away to make that happen. So let me give you an illustration here that I think might help us understand what's going on here. And so, it's a... It's a bit of an allegory, I guess, so you're going to have to use your imagination. But I want you to picture your life as an apartment. And so you move into an apartment and, and, and you know, one of the first things you want to do whenever you move into an apartment is you want to make it your home. You want to make it yours. And, and one of the things we do to do that is we decorate. And so often we begin to put pictures up on the wall. Maybe it'd be family pictures or, or pictures of places you've been or, or artwork or something. Well, in, in this apartment, in our illustration here, 
we're going to put up pictures, but those pictures aren't going to be, um, you know, things that necessarily make us smile. Uh, but rather, these pictures that we place in our apartment of our life are, are snapshots of significant events in our life. They're, they're memories of, of things that you and I have encountered that have taught us something about ourselves or about the world and life in general. They are, they are significant events. They're not just sort of minor details. They are the things that have branded our souls, so to speak. Now, for some people growing up, they've been you know, super successful in life. Everything they've, they've put their hand to has been a giant success. They were the top student, the, the super athlete, the, the popular kid, the one that had the, you know, all, everyone wanting to date them. And, and everything they just kind of put their finger to, it just turned out for them. And, and their pictures here would be pictures of all their successes. When they, when they won the, the championship game, when they, when they got into university, and when they graduated with top marks, and when they were the valedictorian, and when they, they got their first job, and when they got promoted, and, and all that sort of thing. And, and there's nothing wrong with those events, but for those people often, their struggle then is what they begin to believe is I can do it. That, that I can do anything I put my mind to. Their favorite Bible verse is God helps those who help themselves. Again, that's not in the Bible. But that's their mindset. That's their approach. That, that I can pull it off. And so who do they begin to trust in? Themselves. Right? But I think if we are honest, that's not the norm. That person. That, I mean, those people exist, but... But you don't see a lot of them. That's probably maybe less than 10% of the population. The other 90 plus percent, I think, are people that have gone through a lot of difficulties. They've gone through hurts and they've gone through failures and rejections and so forth. And so we're going to focus on those people. The other 10% exist and, and I'm sure that as we go on they'll be able to relate. But, but we want to focus in on the people who've gone through difficulties in life. And so I want you to imagine maybe a, you know, the first picture we hang up on the wall is, is something to do with our parents. It's related to, to you know, how, what kind of a, a parent you had, a mom or a dad. Maybe, maybe your dad was, was verbally or even physically abusive. That you know, whenever you think about dad, it was always yelling. It was always screaming. And him just putting you down and reminding you you'll never measure up. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be a success. And I never really wanted you. And, and all kinds of things. And so what begins to happen is we, we not only have the picture up, but we also, we kind of have captions that go below the picture. Captions that, that remind us about the messages that we learn from, from mom and dad. That I'm a screw up. Can't do anything right. I'm just a failure. And I'm not really wanted. Or maybe he just kept calling me lazy over and over and over again. Maybe, maybe the message is just a blank picture because 
Dad wasn't there. Dad took off. Or, or maybe Dad died. Or, or something happened where you grew up without a dad or without a mom. And, and so you have all kinds of other thoughts of, you know, am I wanted? Am I, am I really loved? Why did they not care about me? Or maybe you had parents, both mom and dad, but they were so busy with life. So busy with, um, with work, with a farm, with, with friends. I, I've known people who their parents are so busy with the church and ministry that the kids grew up hating the church because they felt that mom and dad loved the church more than they loved them. And so they begin to feel like, I'm not, I'm not as good as. Feeling very insecure. Not very important. And so this is a picture that every day they see in their mind. Every day they're faced with. Or, or maybe, you know, you have some memories from when you went to school and with friends. And, and maybe you were the kid who was picked on by everyone else. Even the other kids who were picked on picked on you because it was better that everyone picked on you than them. And so you just got bullied everywhere. Or, or you were the, the last kid to get picked for sports. The, you know, when it came to soccer, the kid in the wheelchair got picked before you sort of idea, right? It was just, you know, you didn't have the friends. You didn't have, you know, the, the respect of, of the other students. And so you begin to feel that I'm, I'm weak. And I'm, I feel scared with life. I, I feel scared challenge, facing any kind of challenge. I feel very vulnerable and insecure. And, and you just you don't know where you are. You don't know where you fit in. And you struggle with things such as, do I really belong? Am I okay here? Or maybe, you know, through, through growing up with, you know, when you get older on, then... Then you have all kinds of peer pressure. You know, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, are you in the right group of friends with the right clique and the, and the right you know, social status? And, and, and you know, people are, can be so cruel growing up. Because it really is a, a dog-eat-dog world. I heard once I described this way that, that it's almost like having a rugby game or a, or a football game where you have all these players on the field and one ball that everyone's fighting over and chasing after. And they're punching and they're kicking and they're biting and they're doing everything they can to get the one ball, which is love and acceptance. And that's what's happening in this world. I, I, will, I will tear down other people in order to protect myself or make myself look better. And so we become now the the victims of that mentality. Or maybe some of the memories you have are, are moral failures. Where, where maybe you have made decisions in your life that, that seem to haunt you. Where you have maybe had an abortion. Maybe you've had an affair. Maybe it was the number of sexual partners that you've had. Maybe it was the fact that you had sex even before you were married. 
Maybe it's because you, you lied a lot or you stole or you committed some crime or, or something, but you're haunted by the memories of that. Or maybe something happened to you. Maybe you were raped or, or sexually abused or taken advantage of in some way. Maybe you were made to look like a fool somehow. And, and so you end up having this idea, this message that says, I'm, I'm unclean and I'll never be clean. I'll never be pure. That I'm, I'm dirty and I'm damaged. Or, or maybe you would just say, I need to, I'm no, not, no good except for sex. I'm used and discarded like a Kleenex. Now, now maybe you're, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you think, well, I, I haven't gone that far. But, but the reality is, all this is just varying degrees of the same issue. And again, most of us, if not all of us, have struggled with the, any one of these to some degree at some point in our lives. And. And we feel kind of stuck and we, we don't know what to do with this stuff. And, and we look at these pictures day in, day out and we just we begin to hate it. And we think, i got to get rid of these pictures somehow. So we think, I know, I'm going to redecorate. And so we, we try to take these pictures off the wall, but here's the problem with these pictures. They're so ingrained in us that if you just take them off the wall you can kind of see the outline of where they used to be. Have you ever seen a wall like that, that where the sun has so bleached the paint that when you take down that picture, suddenly you have this square? Well, it's sort of like that idea where you know what was there and what belongs there. And you believe it, that it almost feels wrong to have it down, so you, you put it back up. Because you can't but help believe that that's still the truth. So you think, well, maybe, maybe I can redecorate. Maybe I can move some, some furniture around and I can hide the pictures. But that, that doesn't work because you know it's there. And you can kind of see the corner of it creeping out behind the, the furniture anyway. So you get more drastic. You think, I know, I'm going to wallpaper this thing over. I'm, I'm just going to put a whole new wallpaper. But you, you end up putting wallpaper over the pictures. So picture that in your mind now, right? Instead of having this nice, flat, smooth surface... You've got this lumpy, bumpy wall, which is another reminder of what's there. And you quickly realize, okay, I can't just wallpaper this. I can't just cover it up with this thin veneer. I gotta, I gotta, if I'm going to do this, I've got to be serious about this. So if I'm going to bury my problems, I've got to build a false wall. So you end up building a wall in front of all this. Again, with every hope, with every intention, I'm going to bury the problem. But when you build that false wall and you keep doing it over and over again, what happens to the room? It gets smaller and smaller. And you see, when people try to bury their problems, their world gets smaller and smaller. Inside gets more and more claustrophobic. Everything gets tighter. And to make matters worse, the problems don't go anywhere. They're still there and they know that they're there. That's the worst part. They know what's behind every wall. They know what they've buried. Just because there's a false wall doesn't mean it's gone. 
And so they're haunted by all these memories and these thoughts and they, they feel stuck and they have no idea what to do with it. Well, in our, in our apartment, we've got more than this, just these pictures on the wall because you know, if you live in an apartment, you've got stuff. You've got your clothes. And so we have a, a wardrobe in our apartment where all our outfits are going to hang up. But I want you to picture the outfits because everything here represents something else. These outfits are essentially our ways of dealing with life. They are the, the things we turn to when we, we have a challenge that we want to face. Right? So think about it. When you, know, when, when you go off to a job interview, you, know, you don't just grab the first thing in your closet, right? You don't go put on the tracksuit. Unless you're auditioning for, as an athlete, I guess. But your, chances are you're going to put on some kind of suit. You're going to get dressed up because you want to convey something. And so these outfits, they are, are trying to accomplish something for us. But essentially what these outfits are is they're just simply... Well, we're kind of stuck here. Well, we'll come back to it. They, they are essentially our flesh. They are the, the ways that we have learned to cope with life. The things that we have attempted to do in our own strength. And so I, I have some, some different kinds here that that I want us to kind of imagine what they might look like. Uh, different kinds of suits. The first suit I want you to imagine here in our, in our, uh, our wardrobe is the power suit. Right? I, I talked about you know, going on a job interview. You might get all dressed up. Well, that's not kind of what that power suit is. It's this idea where I'm, I'm driven to success. I'm going to strive to perform. And maybe I do that because I want to I want to prove to everybody that I have what it takes. I want to prove to all those people, those bullies, that they were wrong. And so I'm going to become the greatest success at work. I'm going to build an empire. Or, or you got the tracksuit in there and that's sort of the, the, the guy that never stops working, never stops running. They're so busy in life and they're just they're going from you know appointment to appointment to appointment and they're they're involved in this activity and that activity and that and over here and and their motto in life is just do it. Right? They got the Nike swoosh everywhere. And that's their their approach to things. Or some people they've got the, the rubber suit in there. Remember the saying growing up, I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and to you. And so that's what they kind of do. They just, they just have this idea that I'm not wrong, you are. And whatever you say to me will quickly bounce off me and I won't receive it and just hit you. Because i got to protect me. And I'm not going to let anybody else put me down anymore. Or some people got a chicken suit in there. Because their way of dealing with problems is to run away from them to hide, to avoid them, to be passive. To, of conflict in their mind is the enemy. And so they just try to lay low and be quiet. 
Yeah, Chris. Um, if the flashing is closed, what would the false walls My ways of burying the problems, of, of, of trying to stuff my problems. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the 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 false walls would be the emotional stuffing, in, internal stuff, whereas the flesh would be my external hiding of the problems. Yeah, good question. Another outfit might be our our Sunday best, where we get all dressed up and and go to church and 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 speak all the right language and the right lingo and. And we, we act the part and we, you know, we, we try to gain approval like the Apostle Paul with our religious works. And we think if I've, if I've witnessed to enough people, if I've handed enough Bibles and I've gone enough mission trips and I've, I've preached enough messages and I've, I've done this, this and this, then maybe, just maybe, I'll be okay. Or some people have an invisible suit in there. Where they just try and hide from everyone, hide from from other people, hide from the problems. Their their idea in life is just get along to go along. Some people got the sexy black dress, where they think, well, if I can just be attractive to someone else, if if somebody would look at me and say, wow, I want to be with that person sexually, then maybe I'll be wanted. And so they try and gain their, their attention and their love and their affection through physical affection, even sometimes being illicit. And that's what you see so often in, in affairs where, where people may not be going out looking for it, but they're just so thirsty for love that they find themselves in a relationship where somebody notices me. Somebody listens to me. Somebody praises me. And they give themselves over for that. Some people have the, the fluffy PJs where they just hide out at home. They just, they just you know, withdraw from life and, and want to isolate themselves and just try to hunker down and, and, and protect themselves that way. Some people have the, the bright summer dress that, that says everything's fine, everything's okay, and, and we just need to have a, a happy face and a smiling face, and, and we'll just pretend there's no problems. Really, what they're just trying to do is ignore life, the reality of life. Or you get some people and they wear the super suit. These are the people who think, I'm going to solve everyone's problems. I'm going to solve world hunger and make world peace and I'm going to make sure that we have a, um, you know, an actual sugar-free drink that makes people lose weight. Sort of thing. I don't know. They, they want to just fix everything and everyone. But these are codependent people because what they're hoping to do is if I can fix you, then maybe you'll love me. Maybe I'll have value. Maybe you'll need me and want me. And so they're out running around trying to fix everyone and everything. Or you get people who got really baggy clothes. And, you know, when you look at them, they almost look like they have no shape, no form to them anymore. And what they're trying to do is, is they're hiding. This is common with people who've had a lot of hurts in their life. You know, they've, they just don't want to be noticed. 
You have some people with the suit of armor. And and you see, I see this often in marriages where where two couples come together now and they when they interact, they are all suited up in their suit of armor. They got their shields up and they got their sword out and they're determined not to get hurt. They're determined to be protected. And they quickly discover that a, the best defense is a good offense. And so they got their shield up and they're whacking the other person right from the get-go. Rejecting them so they don't get rejected. Criticizing them so they don't get criticized. But imagine a marriage where you have two people doing that. You get some people who've got the general's outfit out there in there. And they like to put that on because they've got to be in control. They've got to be in charge. And it's their way or the highway. Because when things happen their way, they're safe. They don't get hurt. Things are a success and everyone will praise them for that success. So they try to be in super control all the time. Or you get the judge's robe where we criticize and judge other people. You see, if I can point out all your faults and all your flaws, then you won't see my flaws. See, the problem is that that we have with all these memories and these beliefs is we're haunted by the thought, if you only knew what I know. If you only knew what I know to be true about me, then you wouldn't want anything to do with me. So I hide that. I point out other people's flaws. And finally, in our, in our wardrobe, we've got a, a large assortment of masks to hide behind. So you, basically, you just don't see me. You don't see the me that I see. The me that I'm terrified that you'll come to see. Well, the last thing we have in our apartment is a table. And on our table, this is where we, we place our, our most valuable trophies, which really are our idols. The, the things that we've either... We, our accomplishments that we point to or the treasures that we've collected that belong to us that we... We, we show in, in, in prominent view for everyone to see because this is where we get our life from. So maybe it was some achievement that we did, our education and the number of letters after our name or, or a business that we created, that we started or a ministry we're a part of or maybe it's even our family, a spouse, our children, maybe our friends or our church. It, Notice there might not be nothing. There might be anything, nothing wrong with any of these idols, these these items, these things, these relationships. In and of themselves, they're fine. They're they're wonderful. But the problem is, we look to them for life, and that's the definition of an idol. Anything that you look to for life, for your sense of worth and value and significance and love and acceptance, that's an idol. They're not just the, you know, the little Buddha statues and the golden calves that people worship and bow down to. It's, it's what we trust in other than God. And so this is where we live. This is our life. 
And then one day, there's a knock on the door. And this knock has been there for many, many times before. And, but for some reason, this time, you let the person in. You let Jesus in because He's been knocking. He's been wanting to come in. And, and, and maybe for some, it was a, a moment of temporary insanity. And, and, but whatever reason is, you allowed Jesus into your heart. You allowed Him into this apartment. And in that moment, everything changed. In that moment, you were washed clean. You were made new. You became a new creation. You were made a righteous saint of God. You were crucified with Christ, raised again as a new creation, holy, accepted, perfect, beloved. But living in the same apartment. And you see, that's kind of what we struggle with now, right? Is, although I've been changed, none of this has been. And so I'm still surrounded by all the hurts and I still have the idols and I still have all the fleshly ways of coping with life. And now what? Well, what we do next is so important. You know, thanks to guys like Martin Luther and Calvin and others during the the Reformation over 500 years ago, we came to know as, as Protestants that we are saved by grace. Amen? That, that there's no amount of hard work, of dedication and commitment that will get you saved. Amen? That God did 100% of the work. We are simply the recipients of this gift. Amen? Amen. But here's the problem, I think. The deception that, that much of Christianity has fallen for. Which is that we've been saved by grace. But now, we are sanctified by our dedication by our sincerity, by our hard work. That before you came to, to know Jesus, it was come just as you are. That Jesus doesn't care what you've done and who you're with and how many times you did it. Just come to Him just as you are because He loves you. It doesn't matter. But now that you've come to Jesus, you're not okay just as you are. Now that you've come to Jesus, now you need to make sure you're not with those people. You're not doing this things, and you're not doing that, and you're not over here, and you're not over there. And, and you've got to make sure that you clean up your apartment because this is where Jesus lives, for goodness sake. So make sure it looks neat and tidy for the King of Kings. And so we begin to embark on a journey of hard work where, where we link the blessings of God even with how well we've cleaned up the apartment. That if, if I do a good enough job fixing myself, then God will love me more. He'll be pleased with me and He'll bless me more and, and everything will be better off for it. And so then when things aren't going well, I think, well, maybe God is disappointed with me. 
Maybe he's frustrated with me. But you see, we've we've missed we've missed the point. See, your sanctification is not the product of your hard work and dedication. Instead, it's what Jesus does for you and to you. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. He says, May God Himself, no one else, not not the angels, not the pastor, not, not the deacon, but may God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the key. The one who calls you is faithful and He will do it. See, what we haven't understood is that not only are we saved by grace, meaning God does all the work, but you and I are sanctified by grace. It's a work that God's wanting to do. It's a work that He's wanting to bring out in us. It's, it's the mistake that the churches in Galatia fell for. They had the same idea that we're saved by grace, but we're sanctified by the law. And so Paul writes to them in chapter 3 in, in his, his strongest language. He says to them, You foolish Galatians, Who's bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing from faith? How were you saved? Well, by grace. Well, then are you so foolish? Are you so thick-headed? Are you so dumb that having begun by the Spirit... You now think you can be perfected somehow by the flesh? By your dedication and by your hard work? No. It's always been God. It's always been His job. It's always been His work. It's always been what He has wanted to do and to accomplish. So what does sanctification then actually look like? Well, like I said, in the moment you open the door and you let Jesus into your heart, you are forever changed, forgiven, made new, made holy, made righteous, made acceptable, new creation, totally free, free from sin, free from the law, free from yourself, free from the world. living in the same apartment. And so Jesus comes and He says, well, let's, let's begin when you're ready. When you're ready, we can, we can begin to take down these pictures because the, the captions and the pictures that this describes, well, that's not who you are anymore. They don't describe the new you, the real you. And so... When you're ready. I'm not going to make you because I love you. And you're free to struggle. 
Did you hear that? You're free to struggle. My love doesn't change. But you don't have to struggle. And when you're ready, let's take down this picture and let's put up a brand new picture. One that that tells you who you really are. What I think of you. One that reminds you how loved you really are by me. One that tells you how accepted, how perfect, and how worthy. How much value you have. Because you see, he says to us, I couldn't live without you. I couldn't imagine a life without you. So I, I chose to rather go to hell and back that I might have you by my side. That's how much I value you. That's how much I love you. And so he begins to put this new picture up on the wall. And, and at first we think, oh, no, no, that's a bit much. I, I, I don't know. Maybe for someone like Ben, but not me, Lord. That, 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 I, I don't know. That, he says, you know, that's the truth. Give it some time. Let it sit up there and, and just look at it for a bit until it gets more comfortable, more familiar. And then, you know, some of those events that, we, that happened to us, we can't pretend it didn't happen. Like, we can't pretend that we weren't bullied or beat up or, or embarrassed somehow, somehow at school and so forth. But, you know, we look at those memories and all of a sudden they look a little different now. Our understanding of that event changes. We start to realize that when I was being bullied, it wasn't that I was weak. It wasn't that I was powerless. It was that this guy, this bully was really hurt. And he, he took all his pain out on me. And that event said more about him than it did about me. And it wasn't my fault. That I am beloved, that I am safe, that, that Jesus was protecting me. And so I don't have to pretend those things don't happen, but my understanding changes. And now when I look back on the most painful things in my life, they don't have the same punch anymore. They don't bring me to tears or, or bring knots to my stomach. and Instead, I can see Jesus in them. I begin to define myself now not by my friends and my accomplishments, but now by who God says I am. That I am a child of the King. That I am a royal priest. I am part of the royal family. That I am actually wanted by somebody. That I am valued and I belong and I'm important. That's who I am. And then when I think about maybe the, the moral failures I've done, the, the things that I think oh, can never be clean, then I realize the cross made what was unforgivable forgivable. The cross made what was forever dirty now forever clean. It took the worst possible stain and made me pure. Made me perfect. And I begin to look at these pictures more and more. And, and every so often I put up the old picture and Jesus says, you don't need to do that, you know. Why are you beating yourself up? No one else is. This is who you are. 
And the more you trust that, the more freedom you'll experience. The more you trust that, the more the grave clothes begin to come off. And so slowly, over time, this begins to take greater root in our hearts. Then he comes up to our wardrobe and opens it up and he, he sees all the outfits, the power suit and the rubber suit and the general's outfit and, and the chicken suit. Really? The chicken? Alright, that's fine. And he looks at all these things and he says, now listen, I want you to know you're free to wear these. Right? Because are you not free? You're free to, but, but you don't need to. And in fact, I would rather you not for your own sake, not for mine. Because it's not healthy. It's not helpful for you. I mean, that rubber suit, man, that, you would die in that thing from sweat. That stuff doesn't breathe. And, and that suit of armor is heavy and, and cumbersome. And, and it not only keeps hurt out, but it keeps love out too, which means you are hurt after all. So, let's, let's remove these clothes. Let's replace these outfits now with a whole new set of outfits. Ones that are now representative of who I am of who you are. And so we get to put on the grace of God now. We get to put on the life of Jesus, which really is the fruit of the Spirit. It's His life now. And we put on love. And we love Him and we love other people as we love ourselves. And we put on peace because I've got nothing left to prove now. And I can now rest. And I put on joy and patience and kindness and gentleness. And, and again, at first, you know, I, I put on this, this new outfit and it feels great, but it just doesn't feel as comfortable as the ripped up clothes I used to wear. And so I find myself from time to time going back. But he says, you don't need to do that. Come with me. Let's live a new way. Live by my grace, by my power. And now He comes to our idols. And He says, you know, some of these things, they, they haven't been healthy for you and, and some might need to go. Some might be things that have taken such precedence in our life that, that He needs to take them away. Maybe it's a reputation. Maybe it's a, a job or your finances because your security has been wrapped up in your finances. Maybe it's a home or, or a hobby or something. And, and so he begins to take those away and says, you don't need those things anymore. I'm sufficient. I'm enough. But then there's some other things that, you know, maybe a family or, or, or a ministry or something, he says, I'm not going to take it away from you, but we're going to find another place to put it. One that isn't as prominent. Because it no longer has that grip on your heart. And instead, we're going to put things on the table now that are important to God. like you in relationships and the people we get to love, the people that we get to, to share this life with. I want you to understand this process is not a quick one. You, you can't go away for a six-week boot camp and think it's all done now. won't happen that way. 
It's an ongoing process. The Apostle Paul spoke of this in Philippians 3 where he says, I press on towards the goal, not that I've arrived yet. None of us have arrived here. We've, we haven't fully experienced all of this consistently. Instead, it's something where God over and over is reminding us. Trust me here. Trust that this is true. And He comforts us each step of the way. He encourages us. In fact, it's the journey that becomes so sacred, so personal. Because it's this journey of sanctification where you truly get to know the heart of God and His compassion and His, His, His love for you. Now, don't, don't mistake this as being a passive thing where, where you know, we just sit on the sidelines and God makes all this happen. That's not it at all. We're going to talk more this morning about what that our involvement looks like, but, but it is not passive. We have a, a key part to play in all this because this is something God's doing for you and to you, but He invites us into the process of it. Our, our only requirement in order to enter into this kind of experience is the humility to admit that I have more work to be done. And that, that's the secret. Every one of us is a work in process. I find tremendous relief in that. Because I'm not supposed to have it all together. I'm supposed to still be a mess at times. I'm supposed to still make mistakes. And God says, but I love you no matter what. Yes, Ricardo. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a great verse in that in Second uh, Corinthians four, where Paul says that we are being transformed from glory to glory. Well, think about that. This morning, you know, when I came here, I went from Kitchener. To Kitchener. That doesn't make sense. That just I never left, right? Well, that's essentially what God's doing. He is transforming us from glory to glory. To put it another way, I, I remember when my, my oldest, Hannah, was first born. And she was just a few minutes old and I had her in my arms and I looked down at her and I remember the thought looking down at her and says, she'll never become more of a woman than she is today. From the moment she was born, she was 100% woman. But in the last 10 years, guess what she's been doing? She's been growing up into a woman. So, she's going from being a woman and becoming a woman, right? So, here's what God's done. He has made us perfect. We are simply on the journey to discover what that means and looks like. We are simply on the journey to discover what God has already done. So the work in progress isn't to become something I'm not. I'm becoming who I already am. And I'm trusting that it's true. 
And in the flip side of that, trusting that I'm not who I used to be. And we're all on that journey. It's the renewing of our mind. Not becoming someone we're not, but becoming who we already are. We've already got it. We've already got it. Yeah.